You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when I was a kid, I used to read the horoscope in the back of the newspaper there. I was kind of amused. I don't think I thought it was real even then. But on the other hand, some of it seemed to ring true. You know, you're going to be worried about this, that, and the other. And sure, an exam was coming up. Well, did it change any of my behavior? Who knows? I'm Seth Shostak. I'm Molly Bentley. Welcome to Big Picture Science, produced at the SETI Institute, where researchers investigate the nature and origin of life. If you want an explanation of human behavior, you have many scientific disciplines to choose from. Neuroscience, biology, and psychology, for example. But some people prefer an end run around science, saying that the explanation for what we do lies in our stars. Astrologers claim that rising signs, retrograde planets, and your birth chart reveal your motivation and destiny. And while Mars may be in retrograde... Interest in this ancient superstition is rising, and half of the American public continue to consider astrology at least somewhat scientific. In this episode of our monthly look at critical thinking, why what's your sign has returned as an icebreaker, and why the truth value of this ancient practice has no bearing on its popularity. It's Skeptic Check, Astrology Ascending. For those of you who are asking the big questions, who am I? What does the future hold? Well, some would suggest you look to the stars for answers. But first, grab your smartphone. First, you download the app. You put in your exact time, date, place of birth so that we can create a map of the sky and how it looked exactly when and where you were born. This astrology app then generates your horoscope. Then we can generate this personalized analysis of who you are, where your moon was, sun was, rising sign, Venus, and so on, which says how you are in the world, how you feel, how you love, how you act. And then you can compare them to your friends to see the ways that you're compatible, not compatible, and day-by-day updates of how you're compatible with said friend. The astrology app called CoStar is one of many smartphone apps that now allow you to check your horoscope at any time. Astrology has moved from the back of the newspapers to a meme on social media. With an increase in traffic on horoscope sites, one citing a 150% increase in the number of hits from 2016 to 2017, these digital tools let users easily share and compare results. I think it's a system of using the stars as a framework to talk about who people are, how they relate to each other, and what they're experiencing. CEO and co-founder of the co-star app, Banu Gular, was working in the fashion world with two friends in 2017 when they decided to merge the Internet age with the age of Aquarius. I've been into astrology for a really long time, and we really thought there was this amazing opportunity to take this thing that all of our friends were using to talk about who they are, how they relate to each other, what they're experiencing, and move it online with everything else. And as an indication of how astrology is using contemporary technology, she says that her app uses artificial intelligence and data from NASA to generate its horoscopes. But in some ways, interest in astrology has not changed. More young people may be following it, but some statistics haven't budged. The National Science Foundation says that the number of Americans who think that astrology is scientific, or somewhat scientific, is still high, but remains hovering around 50%. But the fact that astrology is not science seems to be irrelevant to those who claim that it's helpful. 
astrology has these special ways of thinking about what the sky looks like that pull out what's important to astrologers. So there are stars in the sense of the constellations. That's stuff like Scorpio, Cancer, Pisces, Virgo. And then there are planets, which in astrology include the sun and the moon, often referred to as the lights. There are a lot of stars out there, but astrologers are concerned with only the few background stars that make up the constellations of the zodiac, the ram, the bull, scorpion, cancer, the twins, and so forth. Your rising sign is the zodiacal constellation that's uh, coming up uh, over the horizon in the east at the moment of your birth. Astrologers say that each sign has a ruling planet, like Mars, for example. They are also interested in where the sun and moon were when you were born and where they are on any given day. And the positions of the sun, moon, and planets determine who you are and your destiny. As for what we can learn from your astrological chart? Your chart says, okay, the sun was here when you were born. That determines your ego, your identity, your role in life. That's your sort of standard, what's your sign? And you have your moon, which is more your emotions, your moods, your feelings. You have your mercury, which is how you talk, how you speak, how you think. And those planets are seen as sort of energy or parts of your personality. And each one has a sign attached to it, which is kind of like an adjective. And also a house, which is a part of your life it focuses on. So, for instance, my Mercury is in Scorpio and in the fourth house. This means that the way that I speak is really intense and I'm liable to spend a lot of time thinking about my home and family. But the big question is, how does astrology work? What is the mechanism by which the stars and planets influence our personalities or our destiny? I mean, honestly, I think that question's a little bit besides the point. So I think that question can be answered in two different ways. One way of thinking about it is as pure correlation. There are correlations between birth month and certain personality types. Uh, something like the Saturn return every 30 years, Saturn returns to the same place in the sky that it was when you were born. And for astrologers, that's a time of like dealing with responsibilities and limits and boundaries. Most people would just be like, yeah, people tend to freak out when they're 29 or 30. I don't know why, but it seems to happen. I think the other and probably more important way of responding to that is like it doesn't really matter. Uh, something like Myers-Briggs also has no quote unquote scientific basis, but you know, they've done all these studies that it materially helps people, right? Like having this language and system to talk about the more vulnerable parts of yourself, your personality, uh, where you're coming from, how you see the world, That's that has really practical implications. Banu, there are a few astrology apps out there, but yours distinguishes itself, it seems, by the fact that you say you use artificial intelligence and NASA's planetary positions to generate the horoscopes. Maybe you could describe a little bit of that. Yeah. So in really uh, simple terms, what we do is we take all this NASA data to make a map of the solar system at the exact moment you were born. And then we transform that to a local version of that map so we can see what the sky looked like when you were born from where you were born. So I was born in Houston. We take that sort of solar system wide map and turn it into something that would be from the point of view of a human standing up in Houston, Texas. And then we compare that to where the stars are now. This is to generate your horoscope. So we take those two maps of the sky, compare them looking for certain kinds of angles in astrology called aspects. You know, where the sun is now and where the moon was when you were born or where Saturn is now and where Saturn was when you were born. And there are all these special angles that have different kinds of energy associated with them. Uh, we take all of that data and translate it into human-readable text, personalized to exactly when we were born. Now, look, here's here's a very simple question, but I'm, I'm sure it, it occurs to everyone. Can astrology really tell you the future? I mean, is it somewhat like fortune-telling in that it, uh, you know, it says, look, we're, we're, we're going to tell you about what's going to happen to you in the next N years? I think that's a strange question. So I was raised Turkish, and I was raised looking at tea leaves or coffee grounds. And with something like that, it's not really about 
predicting the future exactly. It's about sitting with someone who cares about you and thinking about your future together, right? Like if I were sitting with you and looking at your coffee grounds, I would be much more likely to say, oh, it looks like, you know, you're going to win an award for a great radio show. But if I was sitting there with my little sister, it's much more likely that I'd say, you know, it looks like you're going to get into a fight with your roommate. And I think that context is really important and is developed socially. And I think also in terms of the pure predictive stuff, one way of thinking about it is correlation, right? Like every few months, Mercury goes retrograde and it's this time that communication mishaps happen. But communication mishaps happening isn't the same exact kind of predicting the future that you're asking, which I think is more like you're going to win the lottery on February 2nd, 2021. Which, you know, I think most astrologers would say is ridiculous. Banu, it's claimed that there's a rising interest in astrology among young people. First off, is that true? Yeah, I think there's a ton of data to support it, like tripling on Facebook, doubling on Twitter, engagement with astrology content. Uh, Like it's huge and it's only getting bigger. I see. And what's your understanding of why this is? I mean, I think that we're at a point that We're all aware that social media is eating everyone's brains. Uh, (laughs) Depression is up. Anxiety is up. Like, it's all these horrifying effects of social media are really starting to become apparent. And I think astrology is one of the oldest systems in the world that gives people a really robust framework to talk about who they are, how they relate to each other, what they're experiencing, this private ritual of reading your horoscope or reading your horoscope with your friends, having these shared stories to experience reality together. I was in an elevator a few months ago and just chatting with the woman and she asked what I was working on. I said, co-star. And she's like, oh, that's cool. I'm a Taurus. And I was like, great. I'm a Scorpio. We're sister signs. We're supposed to either, you know, get along really well and love each other or uh, or hate each other. And she was like, oh, that's funny. My ex-boyfriend was a Scorpio and he was amazing. Like he took me on this fancy vacation. We were so in love. But then he got really crazy and really abusive and he stole all my money. And we're at the fourth floor at this point. You know, like there's not a lot of other ways of starting to have a conversation with somebody that get you there that quickly. So it is useful to them. And do they care whether it's true or not? I don't think the question of is it true or not is like an operative question, right? Like Tolstoy writes fake stories, right? Those stories did not happen. Right. There is no way to prove they happened. Yeah, it sounds like Greek myths. So what's the problem? I think like the novel is a good reference point for this because the point is that it's a language and a framework and a system for talking about reality. It's like any other language, right? Like when you have words for things, you can start to modify them to fit your reality, uh, create new slang, merge old things with new things. I think it's no different. All right. But I mean, you know, one could say that if you're modifying your behavior— on the basis of your horoscope, if you will, or astrology, do, isn't that kind of an argument against free will? Do you do you rail against that? That you know your your life is not entirely your own. I mean, no one's life is entirely their own, unless you live in the woods. And maybe you do. I I don't know how you live, but I think if you live in social, political, economic, cultural contexts, your reality is influenced by them. I think that astrology is a much better influence than, like, scrolling through Instagram for three hours a day. Uh, Is there an example you can give me of how your horoscope came true that you'd be willing to share? Well, probably a big one would be almost all of my long-term relationships have been with Tauruses, the sister sign of Scorpio. (laughs) I see. All right. A bunch of bulls. All right. Yeah. Uh, Almost all of CoStar is water signs. Uh, We just hired a Leo. But until we hired this Leo, we were all Pisces and Scorpios. Do you think that belief in astrology is in some way getting in the way of, you know, an empirical understanding of how nature works? Right. I mean, you know, if if you're an astronomer, of course, the planet Venus is is quite interesting. You know, it's a cloud covered 
desert, if you will, with a runaway <laughs> greenhouse effect that may presage, you know, what's going to happen to us. I mean, but to someone following astrology, that's not the interesting thing about it. The interesting thing is uh, whether it's in retrograde. You don't, you don't see any conflict there. I definitely don't see any conflict there. I mean, the CoStar team has gone down to see the eclipse. We all watched the eclipse on Sunday night. We have gone to observatories to look at telescopes. I mean, the two aren't incompatible. Banu Gular, thank you so very much for speaking with us. Absolutely. Banu Gular is the founder and CEO of the app CoStar. One thing in play here is the idea of confirmation bias and the fact that humans are pattern-seeking animals. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's true. I mean, if my horoscope says, you know, this is a good day for making decisions or it's a good day to ask the boss for a raise, right? And I do ask the boss for a raise and the boss gives me a raise. Well, I think, yes, that horoscope was right. Okay, but that's confirmation bias. You know, if I hadn't read the horoscope, it would have been uh, maybe the same outcome. And all those days when your horoscope was wrong, you forget those days and you remember the times when it was right. Exactly so. One confusing element here is that the app is using artificial intelligence and data from NASA, which suggests that this astrology is science, but it is not. Yes, well, indeed. You know, just because they claim to be using AI and NASA, that you know, that sounds good, but it doesn't make it any more accurate, right? The positions of the planets, maybe you're getting them from NASA. You could have gotten them from the U.S. Naval Observatory, and that's probably where NASA gets them, actually. You could have gotten them 50 years ago, 100 years ago. They would have been essentially just as accurate. Well, reading my horoscope here, it says, a misunderstanding of your intentions will fill your inbox with irate email. Stay your course. Also, this is a good day to focus on health and finances. Okay, well, I'm not saying that astrology isn't fun, but I am skeptical of its efficacy and accuracy, and I'm not the only one. I think astrology is an ancient superstition left over from a time when we huddled around the campfire, afraid of the night, and worried about the vengefulness of the gods. An astronomer has lined up a few questions for astrologers next. It's Skeptic Check, Astrology Ascending on Big Picture Science. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We've been talking in this episode of Skeptic Check on Big Picture Science about a seemingly growing interest in astrology. The Greek roots of the word astrology, astro, meaning star, and logos, meaning study. And after all, every culture has looked at the sky, seen the stars, and thought that they might have some profound effect on their lives that were somehow connected to them. But despite the fact that they both use the Greek word astro, astronomy is different from astrology. Astronomy, today, refers to the scientific study of the stars and anything else in the cosmos. But both astronomy and astrology share some common terrain, namely the solar system. So both astronomers and astrologers might refer to Mars being in retrograde, for example. So for an astrologer who believes that each planet somehow wields energy and influence on individuals, Mars being in retrograde might mean a waning of your passion. But I would argue as an astronomer that Mars being in retrograde is actually more interesting for another reason. This optical illusion gives us an important hint about the structure of our solar system. Because the planets are, if you will, on a kind of racetrack where each planet has its own lane going around the sun, sometimes we overtake a further out planet which is driving slower or on a bigger track. So imagine you're on a race course and your car overtakes another car in an outer lane, then it will look to you like the outer car is going backwards. 
Astronomer Andrew Fracknoy agrees with our house astronomer Seth that astrology is not science and that there's no mechanism for how the position of the planets at the time of your birth could possibly influence your future behavior or attitudes. However, as we heard, the fact that astrology is not science is irrelevant to those who follow it and say that it works. So how do we know that astrology is not science? I mean, what does it mean to say that it works? And is there any harm in believing that? Professor Fracknoy has given a lot of thought to these questions over the decades as he's witnessed American popular attention to astrology wax and wane. There have been great waves of interest in astrology going all the way back to the coronation of Queen Elizabeth of all things. That was one of the times when there was tremendous press interest and for a long time not much news. And so the press got the idea of interviewing British astrologers and that went in those days viral and there became a lot of interest in astrological predictions. In the 1970s, when uh, new agey things were popular, again, astrology enjoyed a kind of renaissance. And then uh, things have gone up and down in terms of the public interest surveys, showing that there's been times of great interest and times of lesser interest. And I think we're at a place now where there's so much uncertainty in the world that all kinds of strange beliefs seem attractive for the moment. Can I take it from your response that you're sympathetic to this trend, or do you have some other thoughts considering the fact that you are an astronomer? Well, I'm sympathetic to the fact that a lot of people are confused and searching for answers. I'm not particularly sympathetic to taking a view of the universe which is not based on facts. I think astrology masquerades in some way as a scientifically based a belief system because it uses the planets and the constellations and other things that people associate with our scientific view of the world, but it only masquerades as that. In fact, it's an old superstition based on a belief system uh, that got outdated thousands of years ago. And what was that belief system? Well, so this is, I think, what might surprise people coming from an astronomer. I think astrology was actually a great leap forward in human thinking thousands of years ago. So I'd have our listeners sort of think back to what life was like 3,000, 4,000 B.C., right? Life was very different from today. There was no modern science, no modern medicine. Life was short. Life was difficult. Life was filled with disease. And it was tremendously unpredictable. And that was the hardest part, that sometimes the very nicest people in your village died all of a sudden from a terrible disease, and the most horrible people lived to be 80. And there seemed to be no sense or rhyme to how people were uh, predestined, in a sense, to live or die. But humans want to know the reason, the cause for events. Exactly. Humans wanted someone to blame, and so they, of course, picked on the gods. They decided the gods were the ones who were responsible and so it became pretty interesting and maybe necessary for the human psyche for us to begin to have a way to, have, to read the will of the gods. And that's what astrology is about. Uh, in those days, people looking at the sky noticed that although the sky turned once a day in a regular way, because now we know the earth is turning, in addition to the regular movement of the stars, there were seven power objects that had their own separate ability to move through the sky. And very naturally, people began to associate those seven power objects with gods. The sun and the moon were the most noticeable of these seven power objects, but there were also five planets that moved separately from the stars through the sky. Uh, so important, in fact, were these seven power objects that uh, people gave a whole new unit of time to them, the week. The days of the week are named after those power objects. In English, uh, the Sunday and Moon Day, which we call Monday, are obvious. The day before Sunday is Saturn Day. Uh, so we gave this whole unit of the week, which has no other reason for existing. We gave it because we were paying tribute to these seven power objects in the sky. And certainly they have an influence on our behavior. Moon Day is the least favorite day, <laughs> we could say, for most people. And people love Saturn Day and Sunday, that's right. So as people began to follow these seven power objects, thinking that they would learn something about the will of the gods by doing so, 
they discovered something quite surprising. They found that these seven power objects didn't wander all over the sky. Their motion was confined to a strip of sky, to a zone around the sky. And that immediately began to seem important. Why were the gods confining themselves to that place? There must be something about that zone that's important. Because many of the groups of stars in that zone happened to resemble animals, uh, they gave it a name. They gave that zone a name called the zodiac, which we now pronounce zodiac, but a zoo is where you find a lot of animals. And they thought that that strip of sky was the home of the gods. And then here came the brilliant idea. If at a magic moment in a person's life, we could figure out where each of the gods was in the zodiac, in this home region, then we might be able to figure out what the gods have in store for that person. So what's the magic moment in the life of a person? It's the time they're born. And from this came the very simple idea, but also profound idea of astrology, that if at the moment a person is born, you see where these seven power objects, these seven gods are located in the zodiac, their position and their relative position could tell you something about the person's life and destiny. Uh, it didn't have to be true to be very powerful. And it then encouraged people to look at the sky more. If by looking at what's happening in the sky, we can begin to get some control of our lives, clearly looking at the sky is something worth doing. And that led in some ways to uh, the development of astronomy as well as astrology. Of course, as an astronomer, you encourage people to look at the sky as much as possible. Absolutely. So in a way, astrologers always point this out, astrology at the beginning was good for astronomy. Many of the great astronomers of the past were also astrologers. Ptolemy and Kepler, for example, made extra money by doing astrology on the side. What, what we then discovered, though, is that this sense of control leading finally to what we might call modern rational thinking or science, led us to understand the universe in a much deeper way. We now know that Jupiter and Saturn are not gods. They are worlds, fascinating, complicated worlds. And certainly these physical bodies don't care about Madonna's love life or any of the things that we use astrology for. Well, Andy, what is your opinion then, um, or what is your reaction to the people who follow astrology who will say that it is not science, they will agree with you on that, but still claim that it works, that it's helpful to people? Yes, and what people often say when they say that is that it's not that the essence of it works, but that it's a beautiful overlay. It's a way of telling stories. It's a way of finding commonalities. Uh, and it's really just psychology, but that this overlay of thinking about the planets somehow helps people. And so to me, that's an interesting proposition, but it seems to me that psychology already works. Psychology already allows you to tell stories. There's no need for this extra trapping. It's as if I said that weather was not based on actual conditions in the Earth's atmosphere alone, but was also controlled by demons, sprites, and other supernatural beings, and that this gives us a way to talk about the weather. Well, yes, you could say that every wind was blown by a demon and every rainstorm depends on a sprite, but why do that? It just makes the weather needlessly complicated. We can talk about the weather without this. So same with, I think, looking at your own personality or who you're compatible with. Yes, you could put in this whole extra layer of who's got what sign and where the planets are, but we already have so much psychological depth in our culture and so many ways to talk about our issues. Why bring on this added layer? And yet it's persisted. Astrology has been a part of some cultures for centuries, Indian cultures, Chinese, and European cultures. Well, first of all, I would say even longer, not just centuries, but millennia. We trace the origin of what today we would call astrology back to the Babylonians many thousands of years BC. So the fact that something persists and has temptation doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's right. There have been many ideas in human culture that have persisted for a long, long time but have no basis in fact. What we need to do with anything 
particularly like astrology, which claims to have very specific predictions, is to test it. Like anything else where there are claims, the best way to figure out whether the claims are right or not uh, is to say, well, let's do some experiments. Let's figure out whether or not this thing actually works the way the proponents claim it does. So I understand that you have a few questions that you would pose to astrologers. I do. Uh, One of the things I was asked some years ago was to write an article uh, from a skeptic's point of view about astrology, and I came up with some questions that I think our listeners might enjoy thinking about. So my, my first question is, isn't astrology a form of bigotry? Because we've learned in our culture that bigotry is judging people by accidents of birth. For so long a time here in the United States, for example, people who are Irish or Italian were looked down upon because of the country they came from. We judge people by their religion, which they have no control over. They're born into a family. So in the same way, your astrological sign or the aspects of your horoscope are accidents of birth, and judging people by them might also, I think, be considered a form of bigotry. Another question I have is if you read the astrological predictions in the newspapers where the world is divided into 12 categories by your sun sign, uh, what's the chances that one-twelfth of the world is going to have the same kind of day? Uh, It's really pretty amazing that people think it's very deep to be divided into only 12 bins with all the billions of people in the world. But it comes back to this question of, um, are the people who would say, okay, we're not saying that it's science. We're saying that this is helpful to me, and maybe it's even fun. So the question to you as an astronomer and a scientist is, is there any harm in that? Is there any harm in people practicing astrology? Well, yes. Yeah. So there are many instances in which people, quite confused about choices in their personal life, in their work life, beset with medical problems, will go to an astrologer because they want someone to give them a definitive answer. And an astrologer can do completely the wrong thing for them. Astrologers have broken up marriages. Astrologers have given people bad work advice. And most particularly, uh, people who go to astrologers and other pseudoscientists for medical help then wind up not getting the proper medical help they need and being much worse off. So very specifically, yes, you can imagine cases where it's not just fun cocktail party conversation, but we're talking about people making crucial life decisions based on this completely unjustified and untestable idea. Now, we've been talking about the phenomenon of people following astrology, but maybe not considering it scientific. Um, They describe it as being in this gray area of something that works, but it's not science. However, um, there is a percentage of the American population, roughly half, according to the National Science Foundation, that thinks that astrology is either science or somewhat scientific. And I'm wondering how we make sense of that statistic. You're referring to the, the National Science Board, which is funded by the National Science Foundation, doing every couple of years a national science and engineering indicator survey. And they ask questions about a number of beliefs at the fringes of science during that survey. Uh, This has been done for years, and the belief in astrology as being scientific has gone up and down. There have been times when more people believe it's either slightly scientific or maybe it's really scientific. Of course, most people are not that good at making distinctions about what exactly is science and isn't science. The fact that it has science words in it might lead people to think it's more scientific. I think you'd have to probe much more deeply to know what percentage of the United States takes astrology so seriously that they guide their lives by it. I suspect we're much lower than 50%. I suspect we're in the 20% range from surveys I've seen of people who actually seriously guide their lives. That's still a lot of people if it's one-fifth of the population, but it's nowhere near half. I myself occasionally read my horoscope in the newspaper just for the fun of seeing how vague and silly it is, and I don't think I've been psychologically harmed by that. So if that's all you do or if you compare uh, sort of indicators of what your sign is like in the, in the general scheme of things with other friends, I don't think that this is going to cause you tremendous problems later in life. I think it's people who take astrology as so profound a belief system that they guide their actions by it where I'm a little bit worried about the danger. 
I never thought I would ask you this, but Andy, what's your sign? My sign is do not disturb. <laughs> You've had that joke waiting in the yes, wings for a while. Right. Well, now that you shared your sign with us, uh, Andy, you're also, of course, an astronomer. When is the last time that you looked through a telescope and what did you see? Well, I look at the sky pretty regularly, just a, an occupational hazard. It's so nice to look up at the planets and the stars. I don't think that they necessarily have any direct influence on my personal life or on my, on my ultimate destiny. But uh, I think that the stars are mysterious, complex, and in their own way, profoundly connected with us. The elements in our bodies were made in the stars. The fate of the universe was decided during the Big Bang. Much of what happens on planets is determined by how stars are born. So these are the kind of connections with the stars, not the astrological ones, that keep me awake at night. Andrew Fracknoy, thank you so much for speaking with us. My pleasure. Andrew Fracknoy is an astronomer and professor at the Fromm Institute at the University of San Francisco. So as we've heard from Andy, I mean, astrology is basically a superstition, but one that, you know, is still present, as many superstitions are. I mean, you know, you probably don't like a black cat walking in front of you or you keep your lucky rabbit's foot in your pocket if you're a professional ball player or something. Uh, so maybe that's not so surprising. But what I found particularly interesting was his uh, comment about how it arose because you know, life was so capricious thousands of years ago. He mentions people who die at age 25 or whatever, and then some bad guy who doesn't deserve it dies at 85. And this, you know, unpredictability led people naturally to look for an explanation. And the explanation, the only explanation before science, was the gods did it. Now, today, we understand why some people might die young and other people not. Uh, we understand what causes disease. We also understand the planets. That these are worlds of rock <laughs> and, and gas and, and liquids and so forth and so on. And we also understand that they probably don't care a whole lot about us. So that's all changed. And yet, here we are still uh, paying attention to astrology. What about the point of whether or not astrology causes harm? You know, a lot of the potential harm, and you could say there's not much harm in it. Like believing in Santa Claus, is, is there harm? Here there might be harm because of the opportunity cost. In other words... Instead of basing a decision on some sort of logical reasoning or, in some cases, even science, instead of doing that, you're basing it on a mechanism that's, you know, really no different than throwing dice. How do we know that there's no mechanism by which the stars and the planets influence our behavior here on Earth? Well, nobody has ever suggested one that I think works. I mean, to say that they have energy and all that sort of thing, you know, this is just a sort of woo-woo talk. That doesn't mean too much. What I worked out this morning was that the gravitational pull of Mars on a you know baby who's just been born is less than the gravitational pull of the office building across the street from the hospital. But nobody's casting horoscopes on the basis of those kind of gravitational pulls. So obviously, it's not gravitational. It's certainly not magnetic. Mars doesn't run into the hospital or anything like that. So if, if you don't have any conceivable mechanism here, if nobody's come up after thousands of years with some idea of how this might work, you have to say, maybe it doesn't work. Okay, well, maybe you don't buy this horoscope stuff, but what about the influence of that big pizza pie in the sky? Some scientists say that it can influence our behavior. If you believe that a particular phase of the moon will cause you to do a particular thing, it just might. Self-fulfilling prophecies and other loony behavior next. It's Skeptic Check, Astrology Ascending on Big Picture Science. A lot happens every day. Cut through some of the noise by listening to What's New with Wired, a podcast that provides in-depth coverage on technology and culture. With new episodes released every weekday, you can catch up on all the major events you missed. From AI developments to business updates to new scientific theories, it helps you make sense of what's happening in the world. Plus, each episode is usually pretty short. You can easily squeeze it in on your way to work or during a lunch break. So stay updated with the award-winning journalism from Wired. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.
We've been talking in this episode of Skeptic Check on Big Picture Science about why some people follow astrology, even though there's no scientific evidence that the stars or planets have any influence on your love life or career prospects. But as for what governs your nighttime activities, well, that's a different matter. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're going to change. You'll become... I know. I know. A monster. The moon's supernatural influence on us is often the stuff of campfire stories and popular lore. But you don't need fur to sprout on your arms to think that silvery satellite exerts actual influence on us. Unlike the retrograde Mars and the rising Saturnian system, the moon is close enough to exert a significant gravitational force on us. After all, it's the principal cause of ocean tides. Its nighttime glow can, at the very least, scare nocturnal animals into the shadows, and the full moon is bright enough to read a newspaper by. That's something you can't say about Mars or Saturn. So it might make intuitive sense that the moon could cause some loony behavior. Robberies, murders, psychosis, emergency room visits, Popular belief is that the driver of much of that mayhem, like a zombie operating heavy machinery, is the moon. And why is it always a full moon or a new moon that's causing trouble? Why doesn't anyone claim that a gibbous moon, a partially full moon, makes them crazy? Oh, what's happening to me that I feel so unfulfilled? It's like I'm not quite all there. I'm not complete. It's just a phase. Wait a few days and you'll be fine. Either way, whether the moon influences human behavior is a popular area of research. There have been many studies, close to 100, and they've looked at things like murders and suicide, emergency calls, traffic accidents. As a neuroscientist at the University of Washington, Eric Chudler studies what motivates human behavior. And over the years, one subject about which he's received numerous inquiries from students was proving to be a real stumper. A common question that they asked me was, why does the moon make people go crazy? And why does it cause all this abnormal behavior? And I didn't know the answer to that question. And so I looked at all the published studies that were pre-reviewed, and I wrote up a website, and I let people see those data. And I said, here's the data. Come up with an answer for yourself. His collection of scientific studies is as long as the supposedly moon-governed behaviors are diverse. They include aggravated assault, assault in prison, police arrests, calls to police, homicides in a one-year period, homicides over a three-year period, emergency room visits, psychiatric emergency room visits, suicides, and panic disorders. And the conclusion that Dr. Chudler hopes his students have come up with for themselves? The overwhelming evidence is that there is no correlation between the phase of the moon and any of those abnormal human behaviors. Wait a minute now, because the moon is well known to have influence on the behaviors of many forms of life on Earth. I mean, uh, you know, tidal critters, uh, uh, I think even oysters and stuff like that. So, I mean, the moon is not completely divorced from life on Earth by any means. Right. There was that recent study that was just published a, a few days ago about oysters and how oysters regulated the opening and closing of their shell in relationship to the phase of the moon. What they think is going on is that there's somehow a relationship to the light that the moon emits and that the oyster behavior is somehow tied to the light of the moon. But humans, we have artificial light and we're just not affected by that. And so you're looking for a reason for a result that just isn't there. Now, why were you looking? I mean, does the public think that there is a correlation here? Yes. In fact, there is a very strong belief in some occupations that the moon does have an effect on behavior. Some surveys that have been done has shown that crisis workers, even emergency nurses and doctors, have a strong belief that the moon affects behavior. And that's very interesting because these are highly educated people who claim that the moon is affecting the behavior of some of their clients. And uh, the hypothesis that I have about why that may be true is that these people see bad things. They see accident victims. Um, first responders, police officers have to go to some horrific events where things happen. And they notice that the moon might be full, 
when these things happen. But if you ask, well, don't these things happen at other times in the month? They say, yes, it does, but we just don't notice. And one other thing is these, these occupations are very, very stressful. And sometimes these bad things happen for no reason. And so perhaps it's a coping mechanism in some of these occupations that by assigning blame to something like the moon, it helps them cope with these situations and reduces stress. Now, have you told this to students at the University of Washington? Because I would be kind of interested in what the younger generation might say to this because they might have their own uh, observations which suggest that the full moon does have an influence on their, on their personalities or their experiences. I've, I've spoken to many, many audiences, college students, even high school, middle school, and even elementary school students uh, about the brain. And often I get the question is, well, don't people go crazy when the full moon comes out? And I reference these peer-reviewed studies that show, no, if you really look at the data and you look for a correlation between these events, it, it really isn't there. And the overwhelming evidence with all of these behaviors is that there is no relationship to any phase of the moon and any increase or decrease in any of these abnormal behaviors. Now, in astrology, and there's a you know, there, there's a certain segment of the population that takes astrology seriously. Roughly a third to a half of the population in the United States apparently thinks that astrology is either scientific or somewhat scientific. Uh, that You know, the moon is one of the important players when it comes to a horoscope or other astrological uh, readings, if you will. It controls certain aspects of mood and whatever. But I would assume that if that were true, then some of these studies should have found a correlation, too. Uh, that's right. And they really don't. But believing in a particular idea or concept also can cause those particular behaviors to manifest themselves. So, in other words, a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe that a particular phase of the moon will cause you to do a particular thing, it just might. And in fact, a few years ago in England, in the city of Sussex, a police chief thought that there would be more crime during the full moon. And so do you know what he did? He put out more police officers and said, look for additional criminal behavior. And do you think arrests went up? Well, of course they did, because police officers were told, look for criminal behavior, and more police were on the street, so more arrests were made. So that's a good example of how a belief might actually cause the behavior that you're trying to study. But what I've found is that there's almost no studies that have shown any correlation, no relationship between the phase of the moon. You say almost no studies. Of course, I'm going to ask you, well, which studies did and why are you dismissing them? There have been a, a few studies, and as you know in science, that we look at significance, and we're never 100% sure. So these are statistical probabilities. There have been a, a few studies that have shown a significant relationship between the full moon causing additional abnormal behavior. In some cases, they looked at only a few cycles of the moon. And in some of those cases, those full moons happened on weekends or on holidays where you would expect more accidents or more uh, you know, unruly behavior. So methodology differed in some studies compared to others. And perhaps that is one reason why some studies have shown. But when you look at the overall data, it shows that the amount of credibility that you can give to the full moon is very negligible. Well, finally, Eric, there are some theories that suggest that thanks to the moon, life got started on Earth because of know, tidal effects in these small, shallow areas of, of the ocean and so forth. It's kind of ironic that if the moon got life started, that it kind of lost interest in, in a way. But it hasn't because the tides are still there. I mean, obviously, the amount of light and the tidal effects are the things that are affecting the critters that are susceptible to the phases of the moon, right? Yes, and it, it may be that with the advent of artificial light, perhaps some of our behaviors have, have changed. You know, maybe when we didn't have artificial light, we did things differently. I mean, you know, the word lunacy comes from the luna, meaning moon, and it's possible that before we had artificial light, perhaps, and again, I haven't looked at the police reports from 500, 600 years ago, and I don't even know if they exist, but perhaps criminals 
used the full moon and the light of the full moon to do their nefarious actions. And the police were able to catch those criminals because the light was there. But nowadays, with artificial light, our human behavior just isn't tied to light of the moon any longer. But, but one thing, you know, I, I've been saying all along that the full moon doesn't affect behavior. But in fact, let me contradict myself and say, yes, the, the moon has a terrific and a tremendous effect on human behavior. In other words, poets, artists, musicians, they all create masterpieces all about the moon. Books are written about the moon. Children's books are written about the moon. So our behavior is affected by the moon because we're interested in the moon. We're interested in what's out there. I guess from what you're saying, I shouldn't expect the hair on my arms to get any longer during the full moon. Well, we'll have to check that out next time. Eric Chudler, thanks so very much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. Eric Chudler is a research associate professor in the Department of Bioengineering at the University of Washington and the executive director of the Center for Neurotechnology. So the big picture in this exploration of astrology is that astrology is still not science. No, but, you know, that's, that's maybe the most interesting thing about it. It's become a system that pays no attention to science. It doesn't matter whether it's right or not. You know, we talked earlier in the show about the idea of confirmation bias, and we heard that applies to our horoscopes because we tend to believe what we think is right and, and forget the horoscopes that were wrong. But we also heard that it plays into the situation of, of the supposed influence that the moon has on behavior because doctors and nurses in emergency rooms tend to remember those crises that were associated with the full moon. Yes, well, there's always a confirmation bias aspect to this sort of thing. In the case of astrology, I, I, you know, I understand why people find it interesting because, doggone it, just like our ancestors 4,000 years ago, there are things that happen in life for which there's no explanation. Sometimes they're terrible things, and we always want to know some reason for it. We look for a reason, and sometimes there is no obvious reason that, that science can give you or simply logic or, or whatever. And so they try something else. Thanks to the rising stars on our production team, senior producer Gary Niederhoff, assistant producer Sarah Derwin, and operations manager Barbara Vance. I'm executive producer Molly Bentley. Thanks also to financial support from Rena Shulsky-David and Sammy David and to the William K. Bose Jr. Foundation. Big Picture Science is produced at the SETI Institute, a nonprofit education and research organization whose scientists study the origin and nature of life, including the formation of our solar system. I'm the Institute's senior astronomer, Seth Shostak, and I'm occasionally retrograde. Also, a big thanks to our listeners. Your ears have been attuned to our monthly episode of Critical Thinking, Skeptic Check on Big Picture Science. This episode, Astrology Ascending. If you want to hear more Big Picture Science, well, you'll find past episodes in our archive at bigpicturescience.org. And if you never want to miss an episode, subscribe to BiPiSci on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Pandora. Skeptic Check is brought to you thanks to a generous grant from the Trimberger Family Foundation. At the Trimberger Family Foundation, we hold that skepticism is a lamp that lights the way to truth. Trimberger.org. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready to geek out. The Wired Science Podcast explores all the latest and greatest in science, everything from strange diseases and biological breakthroughs to interesting tech and mysteries in outer space. Listen to Wired Science today wherever you get your podcasts. That's Wired Science wherever you get your podcasts.